0: Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu. I'm a licensed marriage therapist in the state of Missouri and an asex certified sex therapist. You can find me at www.therapistinst.louis.com. Now, today I'm interviewing Lynette, who's going to remain anonymous. So she's not really a Lynette, guys. <laughs> How are you doing today, Lynette? <laughs> I'm doing amazing. It's, it's quite
1: cold, but other than that, I'm good. It is freezing. I know. So
0: freezing. I was walking from the the parking lot to hear and my hands were just frozen yes. <laughs> so why I'm interviewing Lynette is that you're a marriage and family therapist and um, what Lynette has said about herself is that you are a smart likable and approachable individual you say it like you mean it and I mean what I say <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyhow, you is it okay that I mentioned, you know, you're 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 a sex therapist in training or a marriage therapist in training? Absolutely, yeah. All right, well, why don't you tell us a little bit? I'm not going to speak for you. Tell us about you.
1: Well, I just graduated, just got—I'm fr- I'm a fresh neophyte marriage and family therapist, um, waiting on my temporary license because I currently reside in the state of Illinois, so I can get my temporary license, and so waiting on that, but in the meantime, I— uh, I'm officially graduated from Coppola University, uh, December 31st, 2018. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm, I am KCREPT accredited, which is a big deal now. What's of, that?
0: What is KCREPT? Because some people don't know what that is. Oh, you don't know? Oh, I was going to put her on the spot. Is that something, <laughs> some organization that's important to everybody?
1: Actu- <laughs> it, it, it's actually a step above of if I would have went to another university, mm-hmm. um, and received the same degree, uh, their uh, academic studies um, are on a higher level than what Mm -hmm. another university would offer. So basically saying, we're not just
0: any university. We're like the legit university you need to go to. Got Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) That's for people who didn't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So what are you doing now that you graduated? Well, currently I am seeking employment. And actually, it is it's a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be because there's lots of jobs out there, but everybody wants you to have three to five years experience. Well, I'm an intern. I'm right out of school and I had a great, uh, a great teacher mm-hmm. by the name of Angela Skirt. <laughs> I wasn't sure
0: if you were willing to share that or not. So I was like, let her decide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, she was my
1: intern. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so, um, you know, I just think that the right person is just need to needs to see my resume and you know, time will tell. It hasn't been that long. It's what
0: It's only February. February. Or I guess it's March, <laughs> it's but March. it's early four, March.
1: Yeah, it's it's 4 <laughs> days into March and so um. So January, February. So I, I think by the spring, something will mm-hmm. pop off. I know it will or before. What got you into the field? Why, why were you interested in becoming a marriage and
0: family therapist?
1: Well, I am a military spouse. And my husband uh, was in uh, the Iraq War. And um, he was at the beginning of the war. And he came, he left, and he came back a different person and during that early, the early days of the Iraq war um soldiers were not allowed to say that they weren't feeling some kind of way in other words they could not admit that they had they were seeing things, like or they PTSD. were, or they had, yeah, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm not saying is is because we couldn't say it. So I'm kind of. In what ways were you not allowed to say it? Like, well, um, how did that happen? <laughs> the military uh, frowns used to frown upon if you shared that you had a mental health issue, and they oh. would hold it against you, and possibly. Uh, Uh, negative action taken against you. Like you could lose your job or something. Yeah, you could basically be discharged from the military. But when um, the suicide rate began to climb uh, in the mid-2000s and up until now, which the suicide rate is still very high Mm -hmm. from this uh, particular uh, invisible disease. This is what they call it. It's an invisible disease because... Everybody looks fine, but they're really not. They're really not, and so they're living uh, their lives, but in in their heads, they're struggling all the time. Absolutely, absolutely, and so um, I, when we finally could acknowledge this, it was it was two thousand three when he went at the beginning of the war. So he was not diagnosed until twenty twelve.
0: Oh, yeah. oh, wow, that's yeah. a
1: long. That's almost ten years. Yeah, it was ten years in. I did not, he, he act differently. His, his reactions were different. He was angry. He had night terrors. Um, and that he was the guy vals- you married. No, I, the, the person that left and the person that came back was two totally different people. And currently, you know, he's being, everything is being managed well on meds, but uh, there are sometimes still some, Days aren't good days. But for the most part, this is the very reason why I, I wanted to get into therapy because military active duty and veterans and their families, active and uh, veteran families, there's so much lacking mm-hmm. when it comes to understanding the reintegration of mm-hmm. of the family and the soldier and then the transition out of the military. And it's really hard. And there's a lot of things that are under, underlying that never really get fixed. They just kind of, you just kind of sweep them under the rug and go what on. kinds of underlying things might not get fixed? Like um, when it comes to the children, you would not believe how much this affects kids and a lot of times kids internalize their feelings a lot and they don't share. Or some kids act out, mm-hmm. little ones are old, older ones, you know, the tweens, the adolescents. And so uh, negative behaviors, failing in school, talking mm-hmm. back, running away, just being defiant. Wh- where when it comes with the spouse, the spouse also internalizes a lot of these feelings where Uh, She might deal with secondary PTSD and depression and not know it, putting herself last, not doing any self-care for herself Mm. and always putting the children and, of course, her her uh, ill husband first. And so what 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 this led me to believe I'm kind of talking kind of sort of about myself, I felt like if I understood what was really happening from a systemic point of view mm-hmm. then I thought I I felt like that I could reach out and help mm. others as well and also as much as I wanted help the uh military families active and veterans and um and the individual uh, uh, military members I um, Focusing on the African-American community, because Mm -hmm. um, there's always kind of been a kind of distant type of uh, shunning of, of even seeking out therapy or even even really talking about it, because it's always has been. A negative connotation. So you're saying
0: the African-American community doesn't really like mental health treatment or they struggle with it in some way? I'm not
1: saying they don't like it. They just don't believe it. It's kind of like a generational thing where, you know, if grandma said that, you know, Aunt Hannah, you know, she always walked around (laughs) and talked to herself, Mm -hmm. but it was really nothing wrong with her. It was, she was just crazy. Well, you know But nobody took Aunt Hannah yeah, to go get to a right. doctor to do something about exactly. those voices. And so Aunt Hannah just walked around and talked to herself and and talked to these these imaginary friends until she transitioned, you know. And so okay. and so I think if if um, African Americans were more educated and when I say educated meaning that um, not being pushed into therapy but maybe going in as a group or you mm-hmm. know, or just uh or even just um just reading about it, like yeah. maybe a uh a video, a clip or something and making them feel comfortable that, you know, nobody's gonna find out. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not gonna have a label on you. Um There's nothing wrong with you for getting yeah, help, that exactly, sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Um you know, if you definitely don't want your family and friends to know, you know, uh, we value your confidentiality uh, mm-hmm. um, at the highest, you know, and so. Um, well, but I think to your point,
0: I mean, the mental health field hasn't been very kind to the African American community. There are lots of uh, examples where uh, they've been taken advantage of and not just in the African American community, but in the military community too, as well. I I think that mental health has come a long way in terms of trying to be more inclusive, inclusive, Mm -hmm. um, less invasive. You Mm -hmm. know, one thing you said earlier that really like hits home is like, they're not forced. You can decide if you're going to do this or not, but like there were coercive things that were happening in the mental health community in history where people sometimes were forcefully institutionalized or people were I don't know. I, th- I think that some ways, in some ways, there can be a PTSD towards
1: mental health treatment. <laughs> what are your thoughts? I can, I can totally, <laughs> I can totally agree with that and understand that there's just so many, there's so many myths. And but, and I'm not saying that those myths are are not true. But, but they then, don't come from somewhere. But they come <laughs> from somewhere. You know, some may be true, some may not be true. But in order to to help mm-hmm. this particular. This particular uh, group of of individuals, we have to actually have more therapists that look like me. You yeah, know, no, I agree. You know, because they're very they're uh, African American people don't trust. Someone maybe uh, of a different race. They're like, "Well, what do you know about me? Mm-hmm. How can you help me? You don't know the life that I live. You don't know. I mean, it's all these ifs, and I know that you can't help me." And a lot of times they come with a negative attitude, which is understandable. Yeah, and they um they also may come thinking that you know I'm just coming because. You know, the doctor told me and I got to go five sessions and then I'm not going to get anything out of it. So there's already this mental block. But if they just allow Mm -hmm. it to work for them and to say, hey, I'm going to embrace this for the five sessions that Mm -hmm. I have to be here and at the end, see how I feel. And if and, you know, really, just really be open, open to what could happen. Mm -hmm. And if you still feel the same then. You know, there's no love lost in it.
0: Well, and I, you know, I I always say this because we never want to generalize because, of course, there are some people in the African-American community who are very open to mental health treatment and Mm -hmm. some not. But you are speaking to a group that sometimes does struggle with it. And so we want to honor both sides of that. Exactly. So I wonder for you. Lynette. Yes. My student names always trip me up, so I have to be like very (laughs) conscious of them. (laughs) But I'm curious, like what are some of the things you've learned along the way uh, doing this training that she's my, she was my intern. So I'm curious, like what all have you learned about relationships and,
1: uh, you know, and I have learned that relationships and people in general are very complicated. They are, aren't they? <laughs> and they're quick, particularly when you're you're uh, in therapy with couples. Couples are quick to pick up on countertransference, if and if and if you're leaning toward one person or the other. So let me just tell people, because not all
0: my listeners know what countertransference is. It's a therapy term, but then just hold your thought. So countertransference is just basically when we, the therapist, actually get a little triggered by something happening in the room. And sometimes if we're not managing that well, then we might, like Lynette was saying... It's totally gonna to screw that up, uh, but like Lynette was saying, you might accidentally like not be that non partial partial listener. Essentially, that like you exactly. expect a therapist to be non judgmental and to really hear both sides of the issue, and we really do consciously try to do so. But if we have anything from our past that can trigger us and hurt us in some way, then it can be easy for us to think of a client in a different way uh, Mm -hmm. in a not non-judgmental way like from our past essentially like yes everybody has daddy and mommy issues sorry
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes we all do but so anyhow going back to it so you've learned I have about I have learned that that was a trigger for me particularly with the male counterpart Uh, and I had to learn how when I felt that rise in me Mm -hmm. to just want to negate his feelings and what he's saying to just kind of stop and just kind of take a deep breath, not really letting them know that this was happening in order to redirect the line of questioning and how I was feeling Mm -hmm. or even take a break. Because a lot of times just saying, "Okay, we're going to take a five minute break break you know water break mm-hmm. or something just to gather my thoughts and to understand that this is this is this is not about me because it is so easy when you're a therapist to make it about you it is and and, and it's not it never is but
0: i mean to be fair it we all come with issues, every mm-hmm. person, every therapist. So a therapist is going in there, but therapists, so you guys know, <laughs> we have our own problems that we're going through yes, all the we time. Do. We're people, <laughs> which is why it's fun to actually interview somebody who's kind of fresh in this, right? But as a result, then any any problem that's in the room that resonates with us, a problem we're going through or we've gone through, well, guess what? It's going to resonate <laughs> all those feelings Absolutely. associated with that. Yeah. So you're learning your work in progress is that, oh, that's something I struggle with. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I struggle with it, but I feel like that um, by the time that I had finished my internship, that I really, I, you know, I had not n- nailed it on the head, but I was pretty much aware that when it was coming, I would shut it down. Okay, so then you
0: could actually be present for that person. Yes,
1: exactly. And another thing is when you're a therapist, and even when you're an intern, the most important thing is self-care. And I found that out (laughs) toward the end that if you don't do self-care when you are a therapist, eventually one or two things are going to happen. You're going to get sick. You're gonna get angry, or you're gonna crash and burn, and you're gonna get sick. <laughs> and it's a whole physiological. Yes, process. I mean it was like it was like when I finished. You know, I was just like I I kind of like held my breath for a year, and then at the end of the year, I just let it all out. And boy, <laughs> boy, did you let it all out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I literally just had to do nothing and to regroup my <clears throat> mind, body and soul. And it took literally a month and a half for me to really to feel like myself again, because I did not realize, I mean, I was on autopilot. All I knew is I had all these things and all these goals that I needed to meet. Mm -hmm. And they, and it was all hinging on everything coming together at the end. And it's so amazing, particularly at this time in my life, I'm in my midlife and I decided to do this. I'm not a young person, but I'm not an old person either. But to to do a career change midlife is a lot. How did you get the courage to do that? Um, You know, I just dug deep because at that time when I started this program um, six and a half years ago, which um, I did not think that I was going to stick with it. Mm. But I just began to want more and learn more. And it was so interesting. And I just began to understand how people, environment, their environment, and uh, the intergenerational norms and values, everything is so connected. And it's almost like, for example, if your great aunt, you know, had a drinking problem Mm -hmm. and she never got over it and it might skip two or three generations and then you know uh Katie everybody says you know Katie you know you act just like your great aunt Hannah you know or something and she and everything that Hannah did Katie does including drinking mm-hmm. and so what i'm saying is if Something is going on in a family and it's never resolved. It is eventually going to raise its ugly little head again in somebody's life. And you're going to see patterns in mm-hmm. your, like, it, and when I say patterns, doing a genogram, when you uh, are working with uh, individual families or couples is a perfect tool um, for you to figure out where this person fits in Mm -hmm. in the family tree and so um, what this does is it gives you kind of a blueprint Mm -hmm. on what is going on a quick blueprint and you can take you know from those those uh, lines of the family tree and just kind of pluck and and question and Basically, see, this is where this came from. Oh,
0: oh, it's not just you drinking out of nowhere problematically, but perhaps it's been happening for quite a few generations.
1: Yeah. And so, and it's so amazing how we are just all connected in these little minute ways. It's just something like very small that you're like, oh my God, Hmm. you know, like. (laughs) And that's
0: such a therapist way of looking at things. We're always looking for links and patterns. Yes. Well, so I figured I might do a little dovetail in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of curious. One question you put on here is what was the most uncomfortable topic for you to deal with (laughs) at the start of your internship? And I'm just really interested in that answer. (laughs) sex Uh, (laughs) you came to a
1: sex therapist for an internship and that was the most uncomfortable (laughs) well it was it was and I'm going to say this because Mm. I thought that I was comfortable with it until I was um sitting in um in a session and and my supervisor here Angela just (laughs) talked very openly about you know different things and what have you, and I was finding myself extremely embarrassed, and I was just like, why am I embarrassed?
0: I wonder if that was one of the sessions where I talked to somebody very graphically about how they masturbate.
1: <laughs> it's like usually,
0: that, usually that is off putting for was, a starter.
1: I, I, don't, I can't remember what it was, but. Afterwards, you're like, you're nervous, you're nervous, and I was like, yeah, I'm like, I was just a bit uncomfortable. Well, you're you can't be. You're gonna have to just dig in, and so I did have two individual clients, a female, and um, and a male that I actually had to deal with this, and it was kind of it was good because what it did, it forced me to talk about stuff and make myself comfortable about what was going on in Mm -hmm. their. in their personal lives. And when I was done, I I championed myself and thought, wow, yeah. I, I helped them. I really did a good job. With the help, of course, of Angela. But I mean,
0: I think that's really a cool point you bring up because I, I think, you know, plenty of people have that thought. Like, I'm perfectly comfortable with my sex life, right? But it's a different, <laughs> it's totally <definitely> a different <laughs> story when you're sitting in a room and you have to ask. I mean, they're very they're very specific questions. there There's a lot you have to delve into. and I mean, I think about the other side of that too. What must it be like for the poor client who's sitting on the couch and I'm asking like very specific, detailed things and they're like, "I just met you, lady." Yeah,
1: it's almost <laughs> kind of mortifying, probably for them and but not at the beginning, it was a mm-hmm. little bit mortifying for me. But after a while, you know, it's your job. You yeah. know, this is what you need to do. You you decided, you called and said you needed some guidance. And I'm here for you for as long as you need to, you need and you want to come. Mm-hmm. And so whatever I can do to help you, uh, psychoeducation or what have you, I will definitely do that. So you basically learn through trial by fire. <laughs> Absolutely. You stick your toe in and if you get burned. It could be a bad burn or a good burn. But whatever it may be, you're going to learn from that burn. All right. Well, so
0: what is one of the hardest things, what's the hardest thing you want to accomplish in life right now since graduating and receiving your master's?
1: I just want to get in to an organization and start earning my clinical hours toward my permanent license because um, I think once I do that, you know, it will solidify everything that I did, even though I'm going to have a temporary license, you know, just to know that, you know, I've got this, I've Mm -hmm. earned this, and no one can take it away. And I can, I can, I can move around in the world and create different avenues of, for me and people, you Mm -hmm. know, and so I want to help. I want to I help so many people. And I think just by having that license, that just opens the door mm-hmm. for me to make a name for myself, you know, and to really say, hey, you know, I did this at this point in my life. You can, too. It takes sacrifice. It takes perseverance and uh You have to remain focused. Well, it does take a lot of work. (laughs) I mean, it is a lot of work. I don't
0: envy you where you're at because I remember being in that space. And actually what I tell anybody, so anybody who's listening and like, oh, would I ever want to be a counselor? Because sometimes people are listening to learn about that. Mm -hmm. And the truth is the beginning is like being in the trenches, (laughs) going back to some of our military theme here. But it really is. There's a lot of hard work and there's a lot of learning and growing, and I, I saw you do wonderful work in that. But there's Thank even you. more after this, actually, when you go for that licensure. It's this two-year period where essentially um, my uh, supervisees or interns have to find this job in an agency, but they're not licensed. And it's actually kind of a hard time because you're not quite licensed, but you're not quite unlicensed either and it's just like they don't know where to put you (laughs)
1: yeah and and people you know just you know are just a little nervous yeah they're a little nervous and i might add for the listeners that i did my degree all online Mm -hmm. and i i would like to share that i graduated with a 3.999 so for you yes so (laughs) i you know and i did this with i started in 2012 Uh, I graduated uh, our daughter from high school and our daughter is graduating from college in May. Hmm. And so in all of this and retiring, my husband retired from the Air Force as well as um, being his caregiver. I have been his caregiver Mm -hmm. uh, since he retired in 2013. And. So I've had a lot on my plate because I do it all. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, a lot of people don't understand that. They say, oh, my God, you look great. How do you keep it together? And, you know, how long do you have? You know, (laughs) know? I I mean, do you have uh, a month, a week, or a year? Because I will tell you everything that I did (laughs) and do every day. And so, but... um, I am one thing that I am grateful is that this career that I chose, I can do this into my golden years. Yeah, it it's is, definitely something that can age with yes. you. And actually, I can, once I get my license, I can oh. even do online therapy because they got it's called teletherapy. Yeah. You know, and, but of course, you have to be licensed to do this, mm-hmm. you know, and so I'm just so excited at all the avenues and where I can. You know, I could live in, in Cancun, you know, <laughs> and sit at my computer and do therapy with someone. That I could- should be
0: the end goal. Cancun therapy.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. All right, Lynette. Well, thank you again for joining us on the show.
1: Well, thank you for uh, having me. Love to come back and do this again with you. Yeah, and course. maybe next time, the next time, I won't be anonymous. <laughs> well, is there anything,
0: I always offer this, I don't know if you have anything you want to plug, but is there anything you did want to plug? You're anonymous, so it doesn't have to link to you, but whether it's a resource for military or or if it's just something that you think people should know about life. <laughs> I leave
1: it really open and broad. I just, <laughs> I will leave it at this, at this, you you never know what life or, or what, what life is going to give you or what's around the corner or what's straight ahead, but just stay woke, <laughs> be woke and stay woke. There's always opportunities out there to grow and to network and be the best that you can be at what you're doing. Because whatever it is, if it makes you happy, do it. And if it doesn't, change. It's never too late to change your career at this point in life, in this world, at this time.
0: Well, and I agree with that. And I've definitely seen that in you and watching you in your internship. So thank you for that, Lynette. Thank (laughs) you. I have to do it every time, Lynette. (laughs) All right. So you've been listening to www.aboutsexpodcast.com. If you want to find me, visit www.therapistinsaintlouis.com. You can also check out my books, Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity or Premarital Counseling at Amazon. And then feel free to email your questions to aboutsexpodcast at gmail.com and we may just answer them online. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu. Stay kinky, St. Louis.